Good morning, men. Good morning, guys who are tuning in online. Hopefully, you guys can hear us and see us all right. How's everyone doing today? Everyone hear me okay? Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this morning. I would love to open us up in prayer together, and then I'm going to be calling up Joe, who's going to be introducing this morning's teaching fellow. So will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for a room full of men with hearts that are hungry to know you more, to connect with you more, and to connect with one another. God, we just ask that this morning that you would touch us, that you would challenge us, that you would sharpen us, God, that you would make us more like Jesus. And use each and every one of us in doing so at at our table time that we have after this morning's teaching. In our discussions, God, we just pray that you would be glorified and that you would use me and use other men, God, to challenge me. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Joe, will you come on up? Morning, gents. All right, I'm not going to bore you all this morning with a lot of talk, but there's a young man that's going to come and speak this morning that I've known for a pretty good little while now. Met him here at Iron Man, and I have grown just by being around him. He's really one of the leaders at our table, and he's going to talk to you this morning on the possibilities out of the Bible that you might not believe, okay? So this morning, let's have a big welcome for one of our table captains, Ron. So my plan is to make sure when I start getting near the end, I don't make eye contact with Ryan. Just keep looking around the room. Don't go near him. (laughs) First off, I just want to start off by thanking David for pouring so much of himself and his time into this program. I've been coming since you first opened up with the coffees. And then I don't know if you remember, we originally had the weekly meetings was Ironman Military. And then we grew into this. And uh, I just want to thank you again for uh, pouring so much into somebody like me who needs all the pouring in I can get. So thank you. If we can give him a round of applause, that'd be awesome. All right. I want to start off by talking about miracles. That's the subject for this month. I'm going to be kicking it off. Jason's got next week, and then my dad is going to finish us out in the third week. There are 83 miracles recorded in the Old Testament, starting with creation and Genesis 1. And then we go into the New Testament, and there's over 80 miracles recorded in the New Testament as Jesus and later his disciples healed many people, and not all of them are individually recorded. If you were to record all the individual be well over that number. And the verse I want to talk about today is John 14, 12. And those of you not familiar, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. So this month's topic is miracles. Were they real? And I like to add, do they still continue? Some claim that Jesus' miracles were due to hypnosis, psychosomatic effects, and Lee Strobel in this wonderful book, if you haven't gotten the chance to read it yet, this is what we're going to be covering in August, and that's what we're teaching out of today. He covers and he breaks down the arguments and how those aren't realistic arguments based on his miracles that he performed. But the main thing that Lee points out, and this is a huge difference with Jesus' miracles and pretty much every other 
magician, let's say, of the time, is that Jesus' miracles didn't point to himself, but instead they pointed to things to come. Everything was always about what's coming. What is he preparing for? It wasn't, hey, look at me, look at me. Okay, and that was a major difference. Now, for my presentation, I decided rather than going into and discussing the Bible and uh, the merits of it, I would instead tell you a little story of some of the coincidences that I've experienced in my life over the last, uh, I guess within the last decade, that I think points to the realities of this. And this story starts in April 2015 with my wife, who had just rung the bell. And those of you not familiar with ringing the bell, it's a glorious occasion, and this uh, situation. It marked the end of a one-year battle with leukemia, and it was her final chemotherapy session. And that story alone, I wish I had time to go into it, but it is full of miracles. It's full of prayer and a lot of angst, unfortunately. And it also happens to just show how important community is. Because in, in those moments of need, I'll just say in that year of hell, if it hadn't been for my family and my church family coming and wrapping around us and being such a blessing, I really don't know how we would have gotten through it. But we did get through it. And this is what's crazy. Prior to the leukemia, my wife and I were very active um, in a group known as Safe Families. Is anyone aware of Safe Families now? Got one hand, a couple hands, three, four. Safe Families is a group run by Bethany House, and their offices are actually right south of the parking garage in Winter Garden, if you know where that is. Anyway, their mission is to keep kids out of foster care, and it's a short-term placement of kids in need so that the parents can get things squared away without going through all the, uh, the paperwork and hassles, because once a kid's in foster care, it's difficult to get them out, okay? And so it's a great need, and if any of y'all have any questions about it, I'd love to talk with you afterwards about the program. It's a great program. Anyway, so one Sunday after ringing the bell, we were in church and we got a text from Bethany House saying that they had a short-term placement for a newborn and were wondering if we could step in. And we were both, to say we were a little worried is putting it lightly. You can imagine after a year of chemo, uh, your energy levels you know, aren't quite where they used to be. But for some reason, both of us just felt a tug on our heartstrings. And uh, we replied and said, you know what, we'll go ahead and do this. And then that evening, we found ourselves at the NICU going through courses on how to deal with a premature baby and ended up taking home a beautiful five-pound, one-month-old little girl. And that's uh, started the story. This was going to be a, a short-term placement. It was Sunday through Friday. And we thought, hey, we can handle that. You know, it's just a few days. And as it turned out, mom celebrated her release on Friday by going on three-day bender and uh, did not show up. So by Friday afternoon, we realized that we might have gotten in a little deeper than we expected. But my wife, who is an unbelievable prayer warrior, I believe, had already prayed a hedge of protection from the Lord around this child. And so we we ended up keeping her longer. After the mom's decision to not show up, the state's attorney, who happened to be an alternative lifestyle liver, decided that she wanted to place the little girl that my wife had named Hope, only because you can't use the real names in uh, social media and like that. So my wife decided to call her Hope just as a pseudonym for us. Anyway, she decided that she wanted to place her with a distant family member that was a cousin through marriage and by law, and who was also an alternative lifestyle family. And uh, uh, they were coming actually to get her at the end of the, that week on a Friday. And my wife was in uh, a lot of prayer about it. And as it turned out, 
On Friday, as we were driving to drop her off, the cousin had moved from D.C. to N.C. and failed to inform DCF about the change. And if any of you know anything about fostering like that, they have to do full home studies and test everything out, check everything out before they place the child. Well, to them, this was a major breach, and they pulled the plug at the last second and asked us to keep the baby again. So I don't know if that was a miracle, but uh, we sure kind of see it that way. Anyway, uh, because of this, DCF decided that they needed to place her in a full foster home. The reason being it, it has to do with termination of parent rights. They have to be in foster care in order for the state to start working on that. My wife immediately contacted a friend of ours from church who was the kids ministry leader to see if he would be willing to foster because we knew they were full-time fosters. And if he would step in and foster the baby and then we would work with him in order to keep her in a good Christian family and so that we could continue to pour into her. And what is amazing is this foster family, not only did they step up, I've got to give you the detail on this, they had one rule in their family, it was no babies. They would foster anyone toddler and above, but they didn't want to have to deal with all the diapers and getting up for the three o'clock feedings and that kind of stuff. So that was their rule number one. And the second thing that just happened to them is they had had a two-year foster that they were in the middle of adopting that they had the rug pulled out from under them at the last minute. And this had happened about a month prior. And so the idea of them stepping into another foster was something they had to do a lot of discussion on. And as it turns out, they agreed to go ahead and foster. And the other challenge on this was that part of the reason they were DCF was doing this is mom had disappeared on them. And they were not able to get in contact with her. And in order for us to do this direct placement, we had to get in touch with mom. So my wife, being the, again, the prayer warrior that she is, she went to everything on all the contacts that she had. She went through her Facebook, contacted everybody that she had through that, saying, please get a hold of me, please get a hold of me. We are literally at the DCF parking lot with them getting ready to take hope from us. And my wife got a call from the mom and said, no, please place her with this other family and stopped that movement again. It was just unbelievable. All these things, you know, after months of being gone, she steps in. Well, anyway, with this, the roller coaster was just unbelievable that we had been on. So we come, I'm going to wrap this up as quick as I can. I'm sorry, guys, I'm going over. But the day came for the courthouse hearing. And again, the state's attorney was still pushing. It had been two years now to have her placed with this alternative lifestyle family. And we get to the courthouse, and there was one judge that had been presiding over the case with us who was uh, friends with the state's attorney. And it basically let us know this was a fait accompli. This was going to happen. So we get to the courthouse. They call our case, and we walk in, and there's a new judge there. And we're like, who's this person? And the foster families turned to us and said, you're not going to believe this. This is the guy that was praying at the Christmas party two weeks ago for the foster families. Well, what happened was the judge had got promoted the one that was the pro state's attorney, and this new judge was presiding. So we're, we're excited, thinking, wow, something's happening here. And the state's attorney starts talking with the same talk about, hey, this is a placement with a family member. This is per the, the Florida guidelines. And the judge stops her and goes, well, are you familiar with the guidelines regarding long-term foster and the importance of keeping that bond in place? And she starts fumbling through her books and is like, no, I'm not aware of this. And he says, well, I helped write that law just a few months ago. 
So needless to say, the entire story changed like that. I'm going to go ahead and end it now at 12 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do some push-ups for you. That's not a friend. <laughs> anyway, I've made some questions for you folks to go through. And the, the point that I wanted to make is, are these miracles for sure? I don't know. But it sure seemed like it was to me. And if you're wondering, Hope is now six years old and a great little girl in a loving home. And we get to see her as her godparents at least a couple times a week. So that's the story. Thank you.